Greetings, I'm Dr. Snake, best-selling cult author and professional voodoo doctor. This is my voodoo podcast, broadcast weekly from the east side of paradise in the UK. I'll be talking about my colourful live-casting voodoo spells for clients around the globe along with telling you true tales of high hoodoo weirdness and counterculture cool. Plus a listener's card reading from card reading extraordinaire Imogen Ray. Music-wise, we'll be spinning an eclectic mix of rock, hip-hop, funk, psychedelic, soul and acid house. Okay, this episode we've got Imogen Ray in the studio, card reader extraordinaire. She is going to keep me under control. So with that in mind, let's put the pedal to the metal and talk about how you can kill a man with voodoo. Yes, that's right, the old juju men of Africa, where voodoo originates, did not pull any punches. They had everything in their voodoo arsenal, from love and sex spells to money and gambling spells. And if it came to it, the nuclear strike, death curses. But Doc, a lot of people see this as evil. Well, naturally, a, a reputable you know, juju worker would never do such an act lightly. They'd only do it if there was no other choice left open to them. Can you give an example of a juju death curse? Well, one death curse that was used by juju workers in Africa was called pointing the bone. Using his or her mind, the juju man or woman would create a picture of their victim in a bowl of water. They would do this daily for some time, making the picture in the bowl ever more vivid. They'd be visualising the victim in their mind, but eventually the image would become so real that it would seem as if the person's face really was in the bowl of water. And the juju man would then stab the image with a knife. The witch wind would blow and the victim would die. But unlike if the hit had been done with a gun, the juju worker would not get any comeback. The cops would not be on their back. Everybody knew who'd done the killing, but nobody would dare speak. I think it goes without saying, don't try this at home. Well, I don't care myself. Well, on that irresponsible note, the first track up is Hard Rock Sofa from Quasar.
Okay, Doc, in interviews you've often said that the role of a voodoo doctor is a bit like that of a vicar or wise man, helping and advising people through their travails in life. Can you tell listeners a bit about that? Well, it's true in many ways. People need somebody to help them through the difficulties that come up in life, you know, which we all have. Uh, And so much of the work of a voodoo doctor is about getting them through and helping them cope. That said, I tend to strongly resist the idea of being a wise man, you know, of any kind, as I'd rather empower people. If people often perceive you as a wise man or shaman, do you get people asking you about the bigger themes in life? I do, yeah. In fact, for some reason or other, people sometimes ask me if there's, you know, if I, I can tell them, is there life after death? They see you as having profound spiritual knowledge, like a voodoo pope? Yeah, well, yeah. Well, it's a big question, and, 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 you know, life after death, and one that preys on many people's minds, and I'm not sure the Pope himself has the answer. He pretends he does, of course, but anyway, I always tell people who ask about life after death, I tell them the following story from the Zen Buddhist tradition of Japan and China. This is the story. A student walks up to his Zen master and says, Master, you are very wise. Can you tell me if there is life after death? And the Zen master looked at his student for a moment, then shook his head and said, How the hell should I know? But you are a Zen master, exclaimed the student. That's true, replied the Zen master, but I'm not a dead Zen master. Okay, next track is up from the Black Box Revelation, High on a Wire, from the album 2010 Silver Threat.
let's look at the emails. Somebody has written in asking how you became a voodoo man, Doc. Well, it's, it is an unusual career path, you know, me being a white man from London, you know, in the home counties. But anyway, it happened this way. Back when I was 19 or 20, I was playing in guitar in bands, you know, doing everything from blues and country to soul and rock. Um, and I was living in a small apartment at the time. And one evening in the mid-1980s, there was a big bang on the door. Boom, boom, boom. I opened it and I was confronted with a big black guy, you know, bald head, wild, colourful clothes. You know, you look cool, you know, you've got your shades on. And he said his name was Earl Marlowe and he needed a guitar player. And I'd been recommended to him, actually by a violin player, he's played this electric violin. But that's by the by. But the kicker was he needed me to start that night, more or less right away, you know, come down and back him on guitar. So where did the voodoo come in? Well, I subsequently found out uh, that Earl was a singer from Trinidad, as we know, but he'd spent some years in the American South before settling in England, and it turned out that Earl was also a voodoo man, which he'd picked up a lot of that in the American South, and he was helping people out in matters of love, money, health and luck, and he'd originally, he'd originally become a conjure man, actually in, in Trinidad, originally. So he did music and voodoo at the same time? Yeah, well, we'd play live dates in venues and we'd busk on street corners and, and on boats on the Thames and over at the River Avon uh, when we were in the Bristol in the West Country. But we'd also be administering to Earl, Earl's voodoo clients, you know, doing spells, exorcisms and graveyard rituals for them. But most of this was for bringing back lost lovers, gaining gambling luck or for improving monetary fortunes. So you became a voodoo man yourself by this chance meeting with Earl Marlowe? Well, that's right, a white guy from London, but it isn't precedented for a white man to be handed down the voodoo conjure mantle. Because, you know, uh, there was even a white sheriff in North Carolina in the USA who doubled as a hoodoo witch doctor. You know, sheriff by day, you know, witch doctor at night. Um, plus... There were a number of white voodoo doctors down in old New Orleans and in the southern states generally. Okay, this next track is called Shapeshifter, the Blue Starly remix from Cell Dweller featuring Styles of Beyond. <laughs> Control. 
rolls Hit a button that'll smoke any rippy rolls We got car keys, look to remote controls Put the pedal to the metal with no come in. Somebody from New York State asking what the difference is between voodoo and hoodoo. Two similar words. Do they mean different things, Doc? Well, in the end, it's all semantics, you know, wordplay, but yes, they mean different things. Voodoo is a religion which involves the honouring of various gods, spirits and ancestors. It's a spiritist religion with spirit possession at its heart, whereas hoodoo is folk magic and that involves the casting of spells, mostly for everyday wants, needs and desires. Hoodoo can have religious elements, but doesn't necessarily have to have them. You often say that the old-time hoodoo men and women were Christians. Is that the case? Yes, many old-time hoodoo doctors, and some modern ones too, they, you know, they were Christians. They'd incorporate the Psalms in their magic, for example. They'd be resolute churchgoers and would be horrified at being described as pagan or anything like that. They would not consider themselves part of the neo-pagan modern witchcraft movement, for example. So they weren't as devilish as they are often painted? Well, I wouldn't go as far as that. Many of the old-time hoodoo doctors liked to work with old Satan, as they nicknamed the Lord of Darkness. They considered him the brother of conjure doctors, so they'd go to the graveyard or crossroads and conjure up old Satan. As far as they were concerned, it got things done. It was all about results. It's a far cry from the New Age and neo-pagan movement. Next track is some Osric Tentacles and Sun Hair, a System 7 remix. (laughs) 
question in by email. A self-professed witch, Lily Lightbearer, asks if Houdini magic, which you call results magic, has a spiritual side. Well, the short answer is no, there isn't a spiritual side. But uh, the old hoodoo doctors, they plied a trade as uh, professional results magicians, and it was all about helping people get more money, sex, return lost lovers, hex wrongdoers, and the focus was on material needs and desires. So there was nothing spiritual about it? Well, spirituality would only have got in the way, that's what I say. Hoodoo was about action and getting the job done. Calling on old Satan and the graveyard snake to gain wealth, for example. Or going to the crossroads to sell your soul to the devil for fame and fortune. You said earlier that a lot of the old hoodoo doctors are Christians, so how did that come into it? Well, yes, they were, you know, so you could say that the spiritual side was found in the Bible, and, you know, the spiritual side of hoodoo found in the Bible, but the old doctors tended to see Moses as the world's greatest conjurer, they saw him as a magician, you know, and um, so they found a lot of practical magic in the Bible too, you know, things like reciting the Psalms was a good way to get money or peace of mind. In the end, uh, you know, hoodoo was all about laying the root and still is. Next track up is Hawkwindrith Motorhead, which became Lemmy's theme tune.
Okay, now it's time for Card Reader Extraordinaire, Imogen Ray, to do a tarot card reading for one lucky listener. So what have you got for us this week, Imogen Ray? The lucky listener this week is David from the UK. He says he has met you, Dr. Snake, in his dreams quite a lot. Does this mean I should do what I can to get in touch with him and see where it goes from there? Okay, I will now cut the cards on your behalf, David. The Ten of Swords show that you think you've reached a dead end. You aren't sure what to do in your life. The Queen of Pentacles suggests that you need to get in touch with your feminine side, perhaps an aspect of your subconscious mind, to reap greater rewards and fulfilment on the earthly plane. Once you have done this, the Three of Wands predicts that you gain a clearer view of your life and even found an empire, be it large or small, of your own creation. That's what the cards say today. My name is Imogen Ray, card reader extraordinaire. If you'd like to be considered for a card reading on the show, email your questions to doc via the website drsnick.com. Okay, well, next track up is from the author Michael Moorcock and uh, his band called The Deep Fix, and this is Dodgem Dude. Geography and meaningful landscape. What is that all about? 
Well, I walk the urban landscape psychogeographically. Um, each street, each landmark, each building, each statue, and all the street furniture has meaning, certainly subconsciously. And psychogeography, you know, it's a way of approaching the landscape in a meaningful, creative, and imaginative way, be it urban or countryside. You walk almost like you're in a shamanic trance where the imaginal melds with the everyday world. As I walk psychogeographically, I interact with the urban landscape with my sigils, my glyphs, my graffiti, conjuring the spirits and energetic equations of place. Where does the idea of psychogeography come from? Well, um, it all began with the situationist art movement, you know, back in the 20s, 30s. Surrealists who did weird acts to shock and startle the general populace out of its dull sleep, to shake things up and bring vibrancy to people's lives. Um, but the street artist Banksy, you know, probably owes um, some or quite a lot of influence to the situationist movement. And it's very anarchic, and you can certainly trace the roots of it to anarchism itself. Isn't the author Ian Sinclair into psychogeography? Yeah, the, the author and book dealer Ian Sinclair from London is another big one into psychogeography. His books centre on London and its mythic history. You know, which he traces back to King Lud, an ancient king of Britain, or Albion as it was known. Lud is remembered in the London district of Ludgate, and Sinclair also brings the mythic history up to date and sees the architecture of places like Canary Wharf and the Shard as having a mythic impact on the mind and the populace. And he also delves into the mystic architect Hawksmoor of London um, around the 17th, 18th century and the allegedly demonic alignment of the churches that were built by Hawksmoor. All this forms the psychogeography of place. Okay, that's it for this week. And we're going to play out with a track from 1991, Last Train to Trance Central. By the KLF.
now.